It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. I'm very grateful to you for listening to this segment. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. I'm joined in studio by a former governor of Massachusetts. Now, it's not the one you think. Not Mitt Romney. Uh, here sitting with me is former Governor Bill Weld, who is running for president as a Republican. Sir, how are you? I'm great. It's always terrific to be back in the best small city in America. Back. What's your prior experience here? Well, I ran uh, in the 2016 cycle, and uh, our campaign was headquartered in Salt Lake City. Very good. Uh, you referring to your time running alongside? As I was running libertarian, libertarian for VP, along with uh, my fellow former Republican Governor Gary Johnson of New Mexico. Sure, uh, Bill Weld. Uh, you are Oxford and Harvard educated. Uh, you served as legal counsel to the House Judiciary Committee during the Watergate saga. Uh, later appointed U.S. Attorney for the District of Massachusetts by Ronald Reagan. Then in 1990, uh, your career took a turn. You successfully ran for governor of Massachusetts uh, as a Republican. Uh, and your success marked for the first time a Republican uh, governor ascending to that position in some 20 years. You were reelected in 1994 with uh, remarkable margins. And then uh, another pretty interesting turn in your career in 2016, you teamed up with former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson as his running mate in the presidential race. But then, as you pointed out, you uh, were a member of the Libertarian Party. And while that effort was unsuccessful you during that presidential run received four and a half million votes that's nothing i think to... i think we did triple the previous best uh, showing uh, of the party but we were somewhat disappointed because we didn't get to five percent of the total vote which would have given us a majority party status we, we made uh, the uh, sort of poisonous relationship between the R party and the D party, one of the centerpieces of our campaign. And we said, hey, we might be better served uh, with some other entrants here. So it's not, uh, you know, not doesn't have to be an R or a D because one party is fiscally conservative and socially liberal and the other one or uh, we are. And uh, neither of the other two parties represented that mix of policy positions. Sure. In Early uh, 2019, you made an announcement that you would be returning to the Republican Party uh, running for president, this time at the top of the ticket. And uh, you've done relatively well so far. Uh, following the Iowa caucuses, you came away with a delegate. Uh, first time since, what, 96? Uh, that uh, that someone in your position has, has pulled that off. That, that was a fluke. We we got you know we were there for a few days, and I must say everyone loved seeing us in Iowa because they'd never seen anyone quite like me before. It was like I was the two headed cow at the Iowa State Fair. So we were well received. What were, what were they seeing, and how was that reception? Well, we uh, we just uh, I went with my wife Leslie as I usually do, and uh, we were something of an oddity. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm running as a Republican against uh, the president. So uh, they they heard things that they usually don't don't hear in those parts. Sure. And they received you well, you say? Well, they were very, very friendly. Jim Leach, who's a former 30 year congressman uh, from Iowa and was chairman of the House Banking Committee, um, endorsed me and went around with us. And he's like an iconic figure in Iowa. And I'm sure that's part of 
the explanation for our relative success. Following the Iowa caucuses, of course, the New Hampshire primary, where you earned nearly 10 percent against President Trump's 85 percent. Yeah, 10 percent. You know, I'd, I'd hope for better, frankly. And we have uh, 14 states coming up on Super Tuesday on March 3rd, including uh, Massachusetts, Vermont, uh, Utah, Colorado, California. There's a lot of interesting states there. The morning after Super Tuesday, what do you predict the results to be? You know, I don't know. I would not have been able to successfully predict either Iowa or New Hampshire. And in Iowa, they, they can't predict the results even after the, <laughs> the caucuses occur. So I don't feel too bad about that. Um, but I'd, uh, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that everyone knows there's an alternative to the president. Because, uh, you know, I think his... Uh, his behavior is getting increasingly antic, and it just, we can't have it that nobody ever says anything other than what a beautiful new set of clothes that emperor has on. <laughs> in, in modern U.S. history, no incumbent president has ever lost a primary nomination. The, the exceptions to this, of course, date back to a time where the primary process was vastly different than it is today. Some of those notable exceptions pre-modern era were presidents who assumed the office after the death of their right. predecessor. Folks like John Tyler, Andrew Johnson, Chester A. Arthur. Well, let me ask you, sir, why embark on this seemingly uphill battle? Well, there's another statistic, which is that when a sitting president has run for re-election in the modern era, uh, even if they didn't lose uh, the New Hampshire primary, if they had a primary challenger, uh, all five lost, all five who had a primary challenger. The one I was deeply involved with, uh, with was George Bush, 41, who uh, was challenged by Pat Buchanan, and Pat got 37% of the vote, nowhere near a majority in the New Hampshire primary. And it was just the beginning of a long slide down for my great friend, George Bush, 41, who just a month and a half earlier had been at 91 percent popularity, both parties nationwide. Remember, that's when he he and Colin Powell had just won the first Gulf War. So things can happen in uh, in politics. And uh, it's been a very enjoyable ride and uh, it's going to continue. You are a man of much accomplishment. You've not only had a front seat to so much history, but you've also made history yourself. As you seek to enlarge your pool of support uh, from voters and those endorsing you, are you asking people to vote for Bill Weld or against Donald Trump? No, I'm asking them to vote for Bill Weld. I mean, I'm the only economic conservative in the Republican Party now. Certainly the only one running for president. But after, you know, the regular trillion dollar deficits in Washington, I'm not sure who any other uh, economic uh, conservative in, in the Republican Party would be other than George Will, and he doesn't hold elective office. But, you know, when I was in governor, I was ranked the most fiscally uh, conservative governor in, in the United States. And that's coming after Mike Dukakis in Massachusetts, which until I got there used to be called Taxachusetts. So that was a change. And, and that's a big uh, that's a big uh, Part of uh, my platform is that, you know, being fiscally conservative used to be associated with the Republican Party, and we've really cut loose from our moorings there. Uh, frankly, uh, the Republican Party always used to be um, uh, identified with environmental protection and worrying about things like clean air and clean water. And that has taken a direct 180 under this president. You know, he gets a lot of credit for deregulation. Half of the stuff that's been deregulated has been clean air and clean water. And, you know, you look out the window, even in this beautiful city, and uh, if there's an inversion, you know, you see a lot of smog. It's almost like Los Angeles. 
Talk talk to Utahns for a moment. Utahns, we have a track record here of being open to, quote, other options. In 2016, Evan McMullen here earned nearly 22% of the Utah vote. Keeping yeah, and Evan, Evan is supporting me, I would point out. Okay. Uh, his effort kept uh, President Trump below 50% here in the state. Uh, why should Utahns consider Bill Weld? Well, I've loved the state for a long time. I was a close uh, colleague of Brent Ward when he was the uh, U.S. attorney under Reagan. Uh, together with uh, with me, uh, I spent a lot of time out here in the last cycle. Got to know uh, the people, uh, got to know uh, the geography, uh, and uh, one one thing uh, that I did uh, when I was here years earlier with a law firm was I went fishing in the middle fork of the Provo. Maybe you can help me the answer to this question. Sure. I caught a fish that everyone there said was a Bonneville white uh, white fish, and my guy uh, Joe Hunter, who's my a national press person who lives in Park City says there's no such thing as a Bonneville whitefish in the middle fork of the Provo. Can you set us straight on that one? I, I wish I could. I am uh, I am not the angler, and I apologize for that. Uh, let me ask you a, a few final questions here. Your recent attempt to seek public office before uh, the effort uh, you're engaging in currently was done under the Libertarian Banner, you were, of course, the running mate to Libertarian nominee Gary Johnson during the 2016 race. You've now come back to the Republican Party. Can you talk to us about uh, the story of your uh, moving from party to party? What sure. are the ideals that sure. remain, I mean, the Libertarian <clears throat> ideals I've, remain? I've self-identified and publicly identified myself as a small-l Libertarian since I was in law school and took up reading uh, Friedrich Hayek. So I have absolutely the same set of positions that I had in the 16 race and nothing ever changed there. Frankly, uh, I, I, you know, we heard a lot last time, are you guys just spoilers? Uh, and I wanted to be sure that this time there'll be an answer to that question. No, I'm going directly against Mr. Trump and every vote that I get is going to definitely come out of his hide. So there'll be no spoiler and uh, mucking up the works uh, uh, questions this time. And, and I'm glad I did it. It, it uh, feels more real in a way, although, <clears throat> as I said earlier, I also have some sympathy for the notion that we would do better going forward if we did have a, a viable third party as well as the R's and the D's, unless the R's and the D's change their relationship in Washington. But right now, it's it's terribly sick. It, it's a, a spiral death embrace. It's an embrace only because they need to demonize each other to raise money to get reelected. And then once they do, then it's back to uh, hammer and tongs, which doesn't help the people one little bit. Governor Welch, sir, I'm grateful for your time. You're running for president as a Republican against Donald Trump, and you're here to share that message with the folks in Utah. I'm grateful for your time. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Lee. Thank you, sir. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.